Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Okay, Ashton, I'm so glad you consented to showing up again because I thought maybe you'd be a little sick of me by now. We're we're on episode three. We're talking about something a little bit more specific than the last Mm -hmm. one. Um, Maybe like adding a bit of a a lens, a specific colored lens to all the other stuff that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people listening either are parenting or supporting or educating kids that are diverse in terms of their abilities. So Mm -hmm. that could translate to a physical disability. It could be um, social emotional differences in terms of Mm -hmm. their neurodevelopment and what wearing those glasses, what does it mean to educate and parent kids through their own sexual development and support kids in their sexual development when it means that they might perceive the world different, experience the world differently. Risks are different. There's more vulnerability in some way. Um, The way we communicate, like I'm just off the top of my head thinking like for some kids, they are not nuanced. They need to know Mm -hmm. facts. They need to know, just be straight with me. I can't have the pizza analogy would get lost on them. So if, if people are listening and go, what are you talking about? Go back to the last episode and listen to the pizza analogy. And this will all make sense. But right. For some kids, they're like, what are you talking about? I just need a rule book because if you have an autistic brain, for instance, this might be much more helpful to communicate mm-hmm. in that way of this is what will happen. This is what you can do. This is what doesn't work. This is what, and, and for other kids, you do not need to walk through that. So I, Today, we wanted this conversation to look like helping parents recognize why this might feel extra sticky to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And what are some of those examples of, so I think about the basic questions. We're going to talk about the when to start talking with your kids, if they have, like, how to know the difference of when, mm-hmm. what type of information you give, does that look any different? How do parents host the conversation and why is it important to talk to kids with developmental disabilities about sex? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Where do you, where do you um, want to start? <laughs> oh, good grief. Well, yeah. Anywhere. Okay. Let's do the when. Okay. Yeah. When, and I know in the bigger picture, we talked about the gradual, but anything come to mind for you that might be different about the when? Yeah. Um, Oof, yeah. So yeah. very similar to what we had talked about in that first episode. You know, it still does yeah. need to be a safe place, but that safe place and the feelings or the awareness around that or what feels safe might be a little bit different. So sometimes yeah. in the moment is actually the best time because it's there and it's present and there is uh, there is less inhibition. So- okay. When do you start talking to your kids? You start early. So that's the same as before. We had talked about that. Um, But while we were talking about things being like ongoing, I think it is much more important now that we do it in small, frequent, and repetitive Mm. conversations. Um, Yeah. 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 So that would be, that would be my suggestion about when you start when, or I guess how, how would you talk to your kids? Um, I think it's important to talk to your kids so that they receive the right information 
um, but more importantly, how you feel about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially when kids are younger and they're trusting their parents as a source um, about this, how we model it is going to be um, really important. I think also, we have said this before, but you really do know your child best. I really want parents to be empowered to know you do, you do know, you do know what um, becomes too much. You know, when things are going to be overstimulating, you are the one that is going to know, um, does it need to be more direct? Um, Does it need to be more tactile? Do I need to use um, a pop-up book? Do I need to use a video? Visual examples, totally. How do they learn? Is it a kinesthetic learner? Is it a visual learner? Um, You really will know what, what needs how we're going to teach these things, the different ways in which you are going to teach them. I think the the information that you are, are giving, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but mm-hmm. the information that you are giving them is it's the same as before. But when we say give developmentally appropriate information, that's mm-hmm. not going to be a cheat sheet of ages one, you know, one to three right. or whatever yeah. it is. We do need to, yeah, we really do need to say, you know, while, while my child is, you know, at a you know, age five, um, maybe, maybe they're not as you even progress and you get older and you have a teenager, for example, who's, a, who's going through puberty and who, who's also experiencing a disability, their body might be going through something that they cognitively are, are just not, yes. not there, or Can't they were process. not aware that this yeah. was going to happen. So yeah. the idea of saying, we really do sometimes need to get ahead of these conversations. so They know what to expect becomes even more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. The type of information, like, so, uh, so I'm thinking about like, again, we're, we're going to assess where our kids are at socially, emotionally, what's good, what they, what can compute at any one right. given time. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and then when we meet them there and we try and have those conversations using the age appropriate language and meeting them in that, that, spot then is there still any difference about like do we stay at the if a, if someone stays at the cognitive level of grade two-ish to grade three are we staying at the level of basic body consent and body parts language are we because their body will change so now we're having conversations Oh, yes. this is why this feels so complicated because it isn't just saying, well, they, they think like I would say a child who's in grade two, and then I would just give them the education at grade two. That's actually, it doesn't serve them because their 13 year old body yes. that changes still needs information we wouldn't give to a child yes. when they were in grade two, right? Yes. Yes. I, I do think it's, it is like information that's developmentally appropriate as a, as a yeah. guideline, but it's also... Yeah experiential. What is my child going to experience? What do I know my child will be, especially when we're experiencing? Yes. Yes. And making sure that that's something that is going to be comfortable for them. And we may not use um, reproductive, say, say it is about reproduction, say this is about puberty and we want to talk to someone about their body changing. And we want to talk about um, say menstruation or we want to the, the way in which we deliver this information might look very different, but it doesn't mean that they don't deserve to know how it is. And so while I might change my language um, and be, mm-hmm. how would I put that, to be much more 
um, direct and to use more images, to use more drawings. I'm, I'm thinking as I'm speaking mm-hmm. to you about this, Karen, about a really, um, a really incredible um, sexual health educator who's who's made cards. Like that's her her whole jam is working with people with disabilities and having worked with them previously and knowing that our, our children with disabilities are going to grow through the education system in the same ways that we help them to learn all of those things a little bit differently, more uniquely. Um, yeah. We're going to do that with sexual health education, but they do need to have it. Like without a doubt, not allowing, um, not allowing individuals, even if they're developing differently or at yeah. a different pace, to not provide them with the opportunity to have autonomy with their body, um, I think would be quite devastating. Um, yeah. I think about my own experience and, and part of why I became a sexual health educator was um, volunteering and working with people with disabilities. Um, and anyone who anyone who's done that knows um, how amazing and how incredible they are. And while the interaction looks a little bit different, you do, you do know, you do know that they, they want love and they want relationships and they want, um, they want affection. And while maybe they understand these things differently uh, and in relation to how we do them, they're still there. So helping them and giving them the guideposts to start to navigate this for themselves on their own unique journey, I think is so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was well said. A little impassioned, can you tell? <laughs> uh, well, that's what I love. That's because it's got to matter to us. That's when we understand what's needed and and yeah. where the gaps are, and yeah. we can detect that through relationship. When we have lived experience, listening to what people's experiences mm-hmm. are and where the gaps have been for them, and that's for us as well. All the gaps in my own sex education became the thing mm-hmm. that I now hunger to know to be able to pass down differently to my kids. And when we are parents, we're always in a state of curiosity of trying to figure out what our kids need at any given time. Yeah. Um, and then you add this layer of, of disability of any kind. We're having to think creatively and outside of the box because any guide or manual you'll Google will be for either neurotypical kids or will be for physically developmentally on right on a, on a, on the, able-bodied. The, the, the curve that is able-bodied and then we are neglecting people who have the same desire needs. and yeah. needs and don't know how to facilitate that safely or and I think about that too from from a parent perspective of just what safety looks like for our kids what teaching safety looks like for our kids who might not be able to discriminate it naturally for themselves. And so where they hunt for information or discriminate, is this safe information I'm receiving? Can I rely on this source? Their judgment for being able to recognize. Absolutely. Risk at risk for them. Absolutely. It's not the same, you know, and so our parenting responsibility feels so much more heavy and complex because we're having to decide that for our kids without trusting that that may naturally be kind of occurring for them, that they couldn't, can draw on that for themselves. And if we don't have that, we're looking at Mm -hmm. 20, 24, 28 year old children and worrying about them because we don't know that they're being taken advantage of if they are being taken advantage of. 
and if they can tell the difference, right? Yes, absolutely. Tricky. And I think yeah. it's it's so tricky. Um, and I think the really unfortunate truth is that people with differing abilities are more likely to yeah. experience adverse sexual encounters um, yeah. for a multitude yeah. of reasons. And so there's, yeah. there is that like experiential part of it where they are perhaps taken advantage of, or they don't understand a power dynamic or they, you know, exactly those points that you were making that put them into unsafe positions. Um, <clears throat> the other thing too, is that we, there's this fine line and I really have a lot of love for parents and I, I, who are, who are going through this because you, for so long are the advocate. I mean, all parents are advocates for their child, mm -hmm. but you are an advocate in, in a very different way when you are also yep. trying to help them navigate the world that, that feels different. And at what point do you start to, to relax the autonomy in knowing that these individuals are, are going to grow into adults? They are going to grow into adults who have physical responses, who have hormones, who right. are going to have yeah. reproductive systems regardless of their cognitive ability. Yeah. Um, or the same thing to be true with people who have physical disabilities is they, they too are going to want a relationship just because you don't navigate the world in a typical way does not exclude you from from puberty it does not exclude you right. from wanting love and affirmation and yeah. presence. It, it's so important. Yeah. Um, so I do really feel for those parents because it does, there does come a time where we have to hope um, mm -hmm. that, that they're going to be able to discern that now, even with that saying is that there's a huge spectrum of, of that as well. So what autism looks like for one family is going to look incredibly That's different right. for another. Totally. What yeah. Down syndrome looks like for one family can be incredibly different for another. Mm -hmm. um, and just in our own effort, I think we just try not to limit, like let's try to be open to the experiences that they could have because I think oftentimes we assume mm -hmm. through our ableism, through our own, um, through our own lenses that somehow because there is a difference, the value is also different or the value is less. And it's just simply not Absolutely. true. It's just yep, simply right. not true right. um, to make it a little lighter because I feel like I was so heavy. Um, yeah. It makes me think of the the documentary right now on Netflix about, about love and about autism and how whenever I watch that, it just makes me it makes me smile. There's something that's so if if people are ever curious about why it would be important to talk to your children with differing abilities, that is the show to watch because yeah. it is so human. It it just identifies how human we all are and how important inclusion could be to helping them live their fullest. And that is in sexuality too. The, yeah. Allowing them to live their sexuality in a way that is safe, in a way that is again, pleasurable and in a way that's appropriate for them, um, I think would be so important. When I was watching Love on the Spectrum, there yeah. I only watched the first few episodes so far, but what stood out to me was the parent role in yeah. supporting adult kids in their 
up to 30s, right? And yeah. and walking them through the dating process. And just the space they held for, I think they deserve to experience this. I'm excited for this. This is a new step. This is a new stage. And these might be the types of things that we're fostering, maybe in, and in different ways, but earlier for our more developmentally able people. They, that yeah. That becomes the the conversation is just so um, it's so amazing to watch that unfold between two adults, not between mm-hmm. an adult and a child, right. Or an mm-hmm. adult and a teen about the mm-hmm. first kiss or the first mm-hmm. whatever. And, and the wishes that they are granting them, like, I wish for you this and I want this for you. And I'm excited to hear back. And what was that like for you? Well, what do you want in a partner? And have you thought about this? And then they pull out their lists, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, just the role of support person in the background of, oh, you like that about, and we should get a coach in to talk to you about practicing a first date. And I'm like, I could have used that. I could have used somebody saying, let's go on a practice date. And I'm going to tell you what comes across well, what does it go like? Right. But it was, it's so lovely to watch that unfold for all the things that we are left usually to just go out there and figure it out. Yeah. Right. And you know, I think, yeah, I think, sorry to interrupt you, Karen, because I think I want to touch on that because I think what they did was they did it so well. They do all the things that we've been talking about in the previous episodes, but they do it so um, uh, directly. Like it's so, because it needs to be. And yeah. the one thing, like taking a moment just to, to really, I'm giving a virtual hug to our parents who are parenting um, children with differing abilities, because they, I think sometimes they actually do a better job. And I don't mean that to shame anybody, but I mean it in the sense that they're much more attentive to doing it because they be. know the yeah. implications That's right. if they're not able to, um, exactly. because they they simply just can't avoid doing it. And they have had to have difficult conversations for everything else as well. So That's they're just right. a little bit more practiced. So sometimes I do want to like extend those hugs out because it's so well done that they were consenting and that when we think about that TV show, they were consenting the whole time and how, how well that was playing out and how well they were learning to express themselves. And yeah, yeah, I just, it really warms, it really warms my heart. Yeah. I, I love the, the encouraging when it, when they're truly ready to encourage someone out of any nest, right? Like when they can fly to Mm -hmm. have someone go, I want you, I'm cheering you on mm-hmm. is so powerful. And that I think is for all of us in our, in our own sexual exploration, our own development, our own questions, our own curiosities, when we know that the person doesn't have all the answers, but they want us genuinely to experience something good that's mm-hmm. important to us, that is a part of who we are, and they're willing to be cheerleaders for us mm-hmm. in that is like mm-hmm. that just... That to me is kind of like the backdrop role we can play for our kids, no matter where they're at and exactly. what different abilities they hold. The frame is, if it's something that I know matters, could matter to you, maybe you don't yet know will matter to you, that I want to host encouragement and excitement for you about what mm-hmm. could happen, right? Like that, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. Like if I had to tie a little bow on it for for all parents, it's just the ability to be present and the ability to be affirming. 
the, those two things, if you can do those two things for your kids of of any ability, it's going to make the experience of exploring human sexuality, all that more pleasurable, all that more safe. Yeah. Um, because we do know that the reality, the, the harsh reality is that it's not always safe for people with developmental disabilities. It just simply isn't when we take kids um, out of typical sexual health education. If we think that our children now are not getting comprehensive sexual health education, and we then think about how our children who need extra support in learning are now yeah. not learning that, um, yeah. it becomes just, it becomes fraught. It just becomes fraught with um, scary t- statistics of who gets taken advantage of. It becomes scary for me, Karen, and, and where this became a particular interest was when I was learning about life expectancy. When I was learning that some of my friends and the people that I was volunteering with have lower life expectancy, not for any other reason, other than people are not experienced in working with them, whether that is um, dental, whether that is optometry, whether that is at a GP. And as an adult, as they do learn to live somewhat independently, that they're still seen as an autonomous person. If I go to a doctor's appointment and I'm struggling to ask about my medical health, my pap smears, my breast exams, my um, STI testing, what would make, if my doctor doesn't bring that up with me, what makes me believe that the current system would then ask them? Because their concept of where those people are and what they need to be concerned about. All the assumptions. Yeah. Is somewhere else. And yeah. that, that's what really stuck with me was how, how do we help them to be their own advocate so that they're not experiencing those inequities on a greater level? Just, just yeah. from that standpoint, just from that yeah. alone, is yeah. how do we talk to those people? If you are 45 years old and living with Down syndrome and while you're you know, living independently or supported, are you able to go to a doctor and know that you should be asking for a breast exam? Who's going to have that conversation that's with right. you? Who's going to ask right. about a prostate exam? Are these life expectancies as a result simply of a lack of health literacy and a lack of health literacy that we can do so much better for these people if it was met on their level because we accept inclusion. We accept, we just accept that there are different abilities. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That is huge. And that so much is the reason why parents can't pass a baton to systems of care for adults Mm -hmm. because it isn't being picked up. Mm -hmm. So we still have to attend. Mm-hmm. right? We still have to come with, we have to advocate mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. and and not everybody has the language or just the confidence to be able to say, I have the right to ask that question in the doctor's oh. office. So oh. it's the yeah. handholding that's required, right? That you said, it's just this, it's just exponential. Oh, and if we are more vulnerable population. Yeah. Yeah. And if we honestly are more, there are other considerations that are more pressing in that moment. Mm-hmm. Then reflecting on is this is this something that we should also be talking about? Yeah. You know, when there yeah. are other Shocked. health, yeah, yeah, totally. and, and that's yeah. that's so fair. It is so fair, um, and and it is difficult. Like I do want to acknowledge that it's it's so challenging. But um, for those people, for those folks with disabilities, I just really for myself want them to grow into adults that are seen and accepted and. <laughs> you know, actualized in their full potential. And part of that is going to be their human sexuality. It yeah. might look different. We might have right. to adjust our expectations of, of relationships or, but we all have strengths. 
and we all have weaknesses. And for some of these individuals, they might need a little bit more extra help, but there's absolutely no shame in that. Mm-hmm. No shame. I would love for us to be able to get to a point where we're doing this in such a way that every single person is entitled to having a positive, sexual, healthy experience from yeah. relationship through to them themselves and to know that they do have autonomy for themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The the development and the movement in our development on any one frame, I just think of when we talk about kids with differing abilities, we often think about timeline being different, like it's mm-hmm. delayed or it's advanced or it's like we, we have those kind of qualifiers, right? Which is its own limiting way of explaining mm-hmm. it. But that some of those things might might emerge and then we feel like it's too late to bring it up. Like I think about caring mm-hmm. for, like how are we supporting our adults with disabilities whose parents never thought to have that conversation or thought mm-hmm. it would be important to have that conversation. So it's almost starting from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. About understanding their bodies from that mm-hmm. lens. And and how how do we begin to insert that into the conversation when they're 30, 40, 50 year old people who are now recognizing for the first time or don't even know to recognize. Has anybody taught them what, what touching certain parts of them is going to feel like, like, has that, you know, and do, do we, I, I just think it's so it's, it becomes such a scary thing that we just reserve it. We go to, it hasn't come up. So I just won't say it. Yeah. So how much more deliberate do we have to be, right? Because I think about raising our more neurotypical kids or our developmentally, if it's on track with what we expected, I think we feel more prepared. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes up naturally for our kids, then we are almost educating them reactively. Okay, you're raising that so I know you're ready to hear more. If that's not happening for people with disabilities, are is it part of our advocacy and responsibility to actually intentionally teach them mm-hmm. that this is part of how your yeah. body functions? And right? And then Oh yeah. Right. Which Absolutely. feels very different approach, right? So if we're th- if we're not changing the way we think about having those conversations, then I think our natural default is, well, I'm still waiting for it to come up and then they yeah. brought it up. So then it's not important, right? Yeah. And I, we did talk in an earlier episode about how like, hopefully your child is going to at some point in time, express curiosity and maybe come to you. And then we talked about how mm-hmm. we might get a clarifying question, you know, neurotypical or diverse abilities or not, they may not come to you. So there is a, there is a specific reality in that they, Mm -hmm. um, those with differing abilities, um, it may not cross, it just may, it just may not be, um, part of something that they're going to come to you with. So I think knowing, um, and for parents, just in general, if your parents, if your kids aren't talking about it, it doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. And talking about it doesn't mean that you're going to encourage something that you don't think that they're ready for. It is simply, yeah, it is preparing them with information. We know all ability levels that comprehensive sexual health education, the more information that children have, the more prepared and the more knowledgeable that they feel. And the more they know that they are supported, the more likely they are to make, uh, to delay um, what we would call a sexual debut. They're more likely to get 
tested or they're more likely to speak to their doctor or they're more likely if they're having relational challenges to speak to someone that they trust. So when we bring that back to our children with um, different abilities, it's it's the same thing, but we may need to be more conscientious about prompting that conversation of, I'm trying to think of a really good example, but perhaps they're both on a, on a team and, you know, they're playing soccer together and you have one of those individuals express a real specific interest in someone else and being really attentive to, Oh, how does that, how does that make you feel? You know, starting with those basic kind of questions of, okay, so we're probably going to need to talk about maybe boundaries. Maybe we need to talk about um, consent, consent of touching consent of, do they want to be hugged because you love to hug everybody? Like, you know, that's that's a very specific reality. Yeah. You know, and okay, so you you really like to, you know, to hug everybody. Not everybody's gonna feel that same way. What are the ways in which we can ask someone about that? If someone yeah. is hugging you, do you always like it when they're hugging you? Yeah. And if they didn't, do you know who you would go talk to? So you might have to lead lead it a little bit, but you still want to provide them with the chance to have you know, and some autonomy and open-ended curiosity about how they're feeling for that, for that purpose. But we might have to be a little bit more intentional. If it's not coming up, (laughs) it doesn't mean it's not happening. (laughs) Or they're not thinking about (laughs) puberty will still come for you. I can, there's a few things I can guarantee in life is one of them is puberty will probably come for you. (laughs) It comes for you. And I imagine like how confusing it feels when your body changes and you don't know what to make of it. But if you have language skills and safe friends and ways of communities that foster those kinds of discussions, there's places to say the things you don't know. And that's where it grows. Mm -hmm. If you are not finding yourselves in that zone with other people to be able to say that, or you don't have the language skills to express, Ooh, that happened. Mm -hmm. How are you Where's the lead in for other people? That I think is so much why we end up assuming it's not happening. Yeah. If yeah. we're not hearing about it. Yeah. And and we need to be brave and assume it's happening. It's okay mm-hmm. to ask. It's okay to check mm-hmm. in. It's okay to suggest that this might become a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And same, same, but different. So I always love this analogy. Like, we both have a nose, but it looks different. We both have, so same, same. Yeah. We're all going to have very similar experiences. We're all going to experience puberty or we're all going to experience a sexual debut, but they're going to look different. Yeah. And we just need to prepare um, ourselves and and to be, um, to be ready and receptive to yeah. having those kinds of conversations because they, they may appear a little different. I don't think that's new to our families though. I, I think that they know if you have children with different abilities, yeah. I think we're we do have a very clear knowledge and understanding that that's just part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Any last minute thoughts on this topic that you're like dying to pour out? We need to hear about. Oh, um, I'll let you think about that for a second, but yeah, it's a big topic. It's a big topic. I think if I had to leave it just with anything is that your, you know, parents are doing a great job. You're doing the best that you can. You know, I have so much um, time and empathy for people who are finding new ways to talk about these things. Um, but for anyone who's listening who maybe doesn't have, um, you know, a child with a different ability is maybe providing that also as a lens. So please know mm-hmm. 
just the importance of inclusivity, the inclusivity of, for identity. You know, this is just one small part. It's one small part to have autism. It's one small part um, to have ADHD. It's one small part to be Down syndrome. It's one small part that goes along with a much bigger part of who we are as a person and to be seen. We all deserve to be seen in our, in our full selves. And so that's, that's why I'm so passionate about it. (laughs) Okay. We will wrap this one up and I'll see you back here for the last episode in the series. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.